Um, well, thank you for joining us here at All Nations. Uh, we're continuing uh, in our series through the book of Exodus. And last week, we looked at the first part of Moses' meeting with Jethro, the priest of Midian, who was also his father-in-law. And in that encounter, Moses evangelized to this pagan priest by approaching him in love and then boldly declaring all that God had done for Israel and Egypt For Israel, as they were wandering through the wilderness, all of God's great works of delivering his people and sustaining them by grace. And as Jethro heard of these wonders of God, he declared, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods. Jethro was converted. He made a sacrifice to the Lord and he shared a meal with Israel's leaders. Well, today we're looking at the second half of Moses' encounter with Jethro. Last week, it was Moses who gave his father-in-law words of life. This week, Jethro is to return the favor. We're going to see uh, Jethro's advice to Moses in leading Israel. If you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage today. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 to 27. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 to 27. And may God bless the reading of his holy and inspired word. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they decide themselves. So it, shall be e- so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the- this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people. Chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Amen. The word of the Lord. As we work through our passage today, we're going to see three things. First, the cost of hoarding leadership. The cost of hoarding leadership. Second, the call to share leadership. And thirdly, the way to do it. The way to share leadership. I'm sure at some point in your life, you've had a Moses-like moment. When you thought to yourself, I have got to do this. It's my responsibility. 
No one else knows how to do it. No one else can. So it's on me. I've got to step up. I've got to dig in. But as you did that, you encountered a major problem. There's only one of you and there may be a hundred things to do. And so you're overwhelmed and you're overworked. And despite your gifting, despite your best efforts, despite your good and noble intentions, you cannot do it all. You need help. Have you had a moment like this in your life? A season like this in your life? We've all felt the burden of leadership, whether it's at work, at home, at school, or even at church. And in our passage to say, uh, today, we see Moses is carrying this burden all alone. The people of Israel, they're coming to Moses with all of their problems. And from morning to evening, they are seeking his help in settling disputes, in making decisions, in wanting to know what is God's word, what is God's will and his direction for us. And as this is happening day by day, morning to evening, Jethro, he sees this and he asks, what are you doing, Moses? What are you doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people are surrounding you morning to evening. Guys, have you ever watched someone work or perform a task and you get really frustrated because they are so inefficient? So inefficient, you're like, oh my gosh, and you just want to jump in and do it because they're, they're moving so slowly. Right? Or, or they're not really competent. I, I, I'm 100% positive my mother-in-law feels this way when she sees me washing the dishes. Right? I, I'm just, it takes twice as long when I'm washing the dishes. And she sees it, she gets frustrated. And to just kind of restrain herself, she leaves. She's like, I know if I, if I watch Michael wash our dishes, I'm just going to jump in and, and push him out of the way. And I know it frustrates her. And so she leaves. This is what ha- what's happening. Jethro sees Moses and the burden that he's carrying all alone. And he's thinking, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. You cannot do it alone. But Moses responds to Jethro. Well, I have to. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. The first thing that we see is that Moses' heart is actually in the right place. Okay? He's not trying to be this dictator. He's not trying to make it all about him. He genuinely wants to help his people. He feels responsible for them. He knows that his role for Israel is to serve as the messenger of God, to be their mediator. And so that's why he's laboring from morning till evening, not because he enjoys it, but because he knows he has to. He feels this burden. He cares for his people. But we see that there's a cost to Moses' way of doing things. He's taking all the responsibility on himself. And whether he's trying to or not, he's hoarding all of the leadership. He's hoarding the leadership. So Jethro rebukes him. Not just as an opinionated father-in-law, but as a wise counselor. Jethro says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And I'm sure that when Jethro said those words, it stung Moses a bit. Right? It hit him in his heart. It hit his pride. You are not able to do it alone. Moses, what you are doing, it is not 
good. Two weeks ago, I had a pretty busy week. Um, and just to preface this, I'm not here uh, throwing a pity party. Don't be like, oh, Pastor Mike, you know, yeah, anything like that. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to, like, humble brag. Definitely not trying to humble brag. Uh, and I know that my week was nothing compared to a day in Moses' life. Right? I'm pretty sure I'm not a workaholic. In fact, most weeks uh, I struggle with guilt uh, for not working hard enough. Not working hard enough for the Lord. Not working hard enough for you. But I guess if you take those two com- con- comments, I'm not a workaholic. And uh, I struggle with not working hard enough. That might be the workaholic's creed. Um, um, motto. Um, but that week, two weeks ago, was pretty heavy. Uh, I had two staff meetings, uh, standard office hours. Uh, the week started with a funeral uh, for one of our church members, uh, parents. I had a premarital counseling session. Normally I have them come to our church in our office, but they're like, hey, uh, we kind of live far away. So I go down to downtown L.A. for that. Um, I had another meeting with two of our church lawyers uh, as we're setting up our bylaws. Uh, another meeting down in Orange County. I used to live there. I hate going there now. Uh, for our upcoming SOLA conference, I'm on the planning team, and so I drive down to Orange County, have a meeting there. We had elder training on the weekend, a sermon and communion to prep uh, as the cherry on top. And so it was a really busy week for me. I didn't get to play golf, right? And um, by the end of it, I was, I was pretty frayed. I was pretty worn out, and it was by God's providence that I was reading these words in Exodus 18. What you are doing is not good. It's too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. And Jethro's words to Moses were God's words to me. And this is important because if you are like me in any way, you chase the idol of productivity. And you chase it thinking that you can get there. You can be productive. You can be successful. You can attain your goals through discipline. Right? So it's productivity through discipline. And what I mean is that people like us think that if we just work a little harder, if we just manage our time a little better, if we just grind and push a little more, we will be able to get to where we want to go. Right? Do you think like that? I think like that all the time. As if personal discipline was my savior. As if hard work and discipline were, was my solution, is my solution to all of my problems. I still remember when people asked me how I felt about transitioning from executive pastor to lead pastor three years ago. Do you want to know how I responded? Genuinely responded. I said, I think I'll be okay. I just need to work 20% harder. 20, that's what it takes to be a lead pastor, just work 20% harder. I had this weird algorithm in my head. If I could just put 20% more time into shepherding, into my preaching, into my leadership and overall ministry, that I thought I could be then an effective pastor. I got problems, guys. What am I, some kind of robot? Like, bam, 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 20%. You know, that is the algorithm that you need to success, right? You guys got to pray for me. I got problems. But this is what happens when we try to carry the burden of leadership alone. We wear ourselves out, and we actually wear others out as well. That's what Jethro says. You are going to wear yourself out, but you're going to wear out your people because of the way that you're doing this. It wasn't just Moses burning out because of his leadership hoarding. The people were getting worn out as well. They were getting frustrated 
They were getting exhausted, waiting to see Moses. Remember, he's leading a nation of Israel, and they had over a million people, and he was acting as the sole judge, the sole leader, the sole shepherd and counseling for all of them. So the wait to get to Moses was worse than the wait we experience when we're trying to get through the DMV. And we hate that. We get so angry and frustrated at the DMV or, or, or just trying to get to LAX and the traffic has gotten so bad. That exhausts us. How exhausting must it have been for the entire nation to wait for one man to give them counsel, to give them justice, right, to settle their disputes. Church, do you remember the story of how King David lost his throne to his son Absalom? One of the ways Absalom stole the throne from his father was by tapping into the weariness and frustration of the people of Israel. In 2 Samuel 15, we're told that early in the morning, every day, Absalom would go to the gate of Jerusalem. And when men would come to see the king, they would come with their disputes, they would come with their needs and requests. Absalom would meet them first. And he would say, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The people of Israel were weary and they were frustrated because leadership was not shared. And so Absalom tapped into that. Moses, Moses was at risk of of wearing out his people in the same way. Brothers and sisters, if I committed to personally meeting and shepherding each person in our church. I was just doing the math. It was really easy. Um, It would take me every day of every week with no days off for an entire year just to meet you once. Cup of coffee, have a meal, have a sit down, just a one-on-one chat with every member of our church. It would take me every day, no breaks of the entire year. It would crush me to even attempt that. It would crush me to even attempt that and it would frustrate you to wait for that. If we went alphabetical order and your last name starts with a Y, I'd be like, oh, I really want to shepherd you and counsel you and help you with this problem. I'll see you on December 31st, right? Make time, you know, let's, let's go to the calendar, right? How frustrating, how dissatisfying would that be? There has to be a better way for God's people to receive counseling, shepherding, direction, and care. And Jethro provides that by calling Moses to share leadership with his people. Now the direct application for us is to consider the structure and the leadership of the church. But I also want you to consider the larger principle of just sharing leadership. Of sharing the burden of responsibility in your own life. Are there areas where you've been going at it alone? Areas where you've been going at it alone. And it's wearing you out. Has your lone ranger mentality been costly, not only for you, but also for your family? Has it been costly for your employees or your coworkers? Has it been costly for your friends? 
and the people that you're actually trying to care for and trying to serve. Friends, you cannot do it alone. The burden is too great. The thing is too heavy for us. So what would it look like for you to invite people in? What would it look like to seek help, to ask for help and seek support in this area in your life? Well, Jethro tells Moses in verse 19, now obey my voice, right? And I will give you advice and God be with you. And his advice is twofold. First, he says, Moses, you have to remember your primary calling. To focus on the thing that only you can do, Moses, as the mediator, as the deliverer, and as the prophet of Israel. Moses must teach the law. Moses must instruct Israel on what it means to walk as the people of God. Only he is the man of Israel that that talks to God face to face. As a friend will talk to a friend. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, Moses' journey up to Mount Sinai, and those experiences. Moses is in a unique position to do that. Jethro says, you need to focus on that. You need to focus on that. Second, Jethro tells Moses, share the load. Share the load. Look for able men from all the people and set them up as chiefs. Set them up as judges. Does this mean the chiefs are going to win today? Right? They're getting, anyways. Um, I just, all right. Um, and this responsibility doesn't just go to the oldest, the richest, and the most powerful people in Israel. It's not based on popularity, it's not based on charity. There are qualifications to lead God's people. And here we see four. We see four qualifications. First, they must be capable, they must be capable. Second, They must fear God. Thirdly, they must be trustworthy. And fourthly, they must hate a bribe. Moses is is, is considering, he is called to consider men who have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. I'll talk more about that in a moment. And these men will stand as judges over thousands, hundreds of fifty and of tens. And if Moses does this, the benefit will be twofold. Just as the burden and the curse was twofold, the benefit, if he shares leadership, will be twofold. He will be able to endure as a leader because the burden is shared. And second, the people will benefit because they will receive peace. They won't just be waiting for peace. They won't just be waiting for judgment. They won't just be waiting for resolutions. They will actually receive it in real time. And that will be a blessing unto them. The first thing I want to say about this section in our passage is that it shows us much more than just a system and a structure for Israel's government. Okay? It's more than just, hey, break everything down, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and, and X, Y, and Z. This actually shows us the heart of God. It shows us the heart of God. It shows us that God doesn't just care for the masses. He doesn't just deliver an entire nation out from slavery as if he's just herding cattle, moving them from one place to another, we see that the benefits of God's justice, that the reception of God's law and direction, they are made available right down to the individual. It's not just a mass email, not just a mass message that God wants proclaimed to his people. He wants his people down to the tens 
to have a judge, to have a leader, to have a caregiver, to have a shepherd. He wants his people to be known and cared for in the most personal and accessible ways. Do you see that? God wants for Israel, a nation of million, of over a million people, to be cared for and nurtured and shepherded down to the ten. Do the math. How many leaders, how many shepherds, how many chiefs does Moses have to find? And it's a lot. It is a lot. Friends, this is such an important message for us today because there are some of you here, there are some of you here who do not believe that your problems really matter to God. You don't believe that your problems really matter to God. You think, yeah, God is busy. He's, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? He is saving the world. He's dealing with sin on a global, cosmic level. And so he's obviously too busy for you. He's obviously too busy for you. In your mind, God is big and powerful. But he's not really personal. He's not really intimate. You don't know God in this manner. You don't trust God. You don't go to God with this kind of access and vulnerability. Friends, the biblical vision of who God is is both. He is both powerful and he's personal. He is almighty and he is intimate. Just think about the exodus. God in his power, he parts the Red Sea. God in his power, he holds the Egyptian army back by a cloud of darkness and a pillar of fire. And he allows Israel to cross on dry land. Now, if it's me, I would have been like, all right, guys, hustle. Hustle, move fast. All right, 30 minutes, get across. One hour, get across. But God waits for every man, woman, and child to cross the Red Sea over dry land. He waits for the elderly and the lame. He waits for the sick. And he even makes sure that every animal that belonged to the households of Israel make it across. None are lost. None are lost. And when that is finally done, and we don't know how long it took, we just know that every single person, strong and weak, young and old, made it across the Red Sea. And it's because God was watching. God was holding Egypt at bay until that work was finished. And only when they were done, only when they had safely crossed, the fire lifts, the cloud lifts, Egypt comes in pursuit, and the water falls. That's a picture of the power of God, and yet the personal care, the personal observation, the gracious patience that God has for his people. This is our God. The second thing I want to say about this passage is that Israel, if this is going to work, Israel has to learn to receive these judges and leaders as their own. They can't just cling to a singular figure. They can't just cling to Moses as a cult of personality and wait for him and only him to lead them. I've told this story before. I knew an associate pastor who was visiting a church member who was sick and in the hospital. This pastor was very pastoral. 
very caring, very loving, and actually really powerful in prayer. But when he showed up, that church member looked at him with disappointed eyes. And she said, oh no, the senior pastor has to come. The senior pastor has to come. And she really crushed him with that statement. Really crushed him with that statement. And he literally was telling me the story. He's like, man, I have to become a senior pastor. Because until I do, I'm nothing. Right? My prayers are weak. My visitations are less than. Right? Brothers and sisters, God has ordained it to have his people led by a plurality of leadership. In the wilderness, it was Moses with these judges. In the New Testament, it's through the office of elders. I, uh, in fact, the, term, uh, the terms pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, they are all synonymous for one office. And it's the office of elder. And so I'm literally a pastor, elder of the church. As the lead pastor, I am just the first among equals. And these qualifications for leadership in the Bible, they are timeless. They are timeless for us. The leaders of God's people must be capable. They must be God-fearing, trustworthy, and hate a bribe. This means that competence matters. Competence matters for church leaders. And specifically for elders in the church, they must know the word of God. They must be able to defend their faith. They must be able to communicate it, the gospel, appropriately and effectively. This also means that spiritual maturity matters. Their relationship with God, their discipleship, their apprenticeship under Jesus Christ must be evident in their lives. They must bear the fruit of the Spirit and demonstrate holiness. It's not enough for leaders to be orthodox in their doctrines, right? Their character and their lifestyles must demonstrate the Christian life. This is called orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right belief, right doctrine. Orthopraxy is right practice, right behavior, right living. This is what an elder must possess, both elements. Finally, stewardship and integrity matter. Matter. Just as judges must hate bribes, elders are called not to be lovers of money. They must not seek to use the church for personal gain. They must not live out of greed. Right now, we are in the process of training for elders to serve alongside our pastors as shepherds for our church. They will be trained. They will be examined. We do have exams for our officers, right? Um, They will be voted on by our members for ordination. All nations, family, would you commit to praying over this journey, the journey that they're on, and this journey we're all on, actually, over the next six months? Would you pray for unity and discernment in our church? Would you pray for their training? Would you pray for their calling? Would you pray that this step wouldn't just be a step towards formal governance, but that it would be a step for the peace, for the health, for the benefit and care of all of our members. This is what happens in the church when pastors, when we share leadership. It's not just for my own benefit. It's for ours, that we would receive peace, that we would have shepherding, that we would receive care. I truly believe uh, that 
This is what God wants for us. This is God's map for us to be a healthy, led church with a plurality of leaders. Third and final point today, the way to do it. The way to shared leadership. Our passage closes with Moses listening to the voice of his father-in-law and doing all that he said. We all know what it's like to listen to our in-laws and nod and smile, but we rarely do what they say. We rarely do what they say. But he actually does. Moses didn't just just humble himself before Jethro when he bowed down and, and kissed him when they first met. He demonstrated humility when he recognized the wisdom of God in Jethro's words. And he put it into practice. Church, the way to shared leadership is through humility and trust. The way to do this is not just structure and decision making, but it's genuine humility and trust. Moses realized that he couldn't be everything for Israel. As great and as gifted as he was, he had limitations and he needed help. And so what he needed to do is entrust other leaders with authority and with power. This is not easy, especially when you have been the sole possessor of authority and power. Moses had to give up control over every affair amongst his people. And he had to empower others for ministry. One of the main reasons why you and I are worn out. One of the main reasons why we are overworked people is not because no one is willing to help us. It's not because no one cares about you. It's not because no one is able to carry your burdens with you and support you. The reason why we are worn out is because you and I, we refuse to surrender control. We don't let people in. We don't let people in. We shut them out. We alienate ourselves because we don't trust others with the important things in our lives. What is that for you? Is it your children? Are you the helicopter parent who will not let anyone else take care of your kids, watch your kids, even change your kids' diapers? You're like, nope, it's got to be this way. I don't let my mom touch my kids. Definitely not grandpa because they don't know what they're doing. That's why I'm saying. Is it your work? Are you an obsessive, difficult manager and a boss and you justify it as quality control? Quality control. But really, it's not quality control. You are just living out the idol of control and domineering over your employees, domineering over your team members. Maybe it's in your marriage and you're suffocating your spouse because you're making sure they do not just the things that they need to do as your partner in life, but you're making sure they do things the way you want them to do it. They have to do it your way. Otherwise, it's a fight. Otherwise, there is conflict. And this alienates us. This exhausts us and this exasperates the people around us. Friends, we need to humble ourselves. We need to recognize our limitations. We need to identify those idols of control and surrender them to the Lord. We need to allow other voices of wisdom into our lives. And then we need to trust others. We need to empower them. To help us. We need to empower them to lead. We need to empower them to make decisions for themselves. Right? And as God looks upon our limitations, he really does give us two beautiful gifts. 
He sees your limitations. He sees the limitations that I have as the lead pastor. He sees the limitations that we have as a church. And he gives us two beautiful gifts, community and Christ. Community and Christ. In community, we remember that we are a priesthood of all believers. We are all members of one body working together to build up this body of Christ to the glory of God. And so, yes, we do have distinct officers. Yes, we do have pastors, elders, and deacons stewarding over specific tasks for ministry, but they are not the only ones carrying the burden for this church. We are all as members called to serve. We are all as members called to be in community and bear one another's burdens. Friends, would you consider one another in this manner, not just as a stranger, not just as a fellow churchgoer, but as God's gift to us? We are a gift to one another to experience the love of God, corporate worship, community, intimacy, fellowship, service. I don't think we see each other that way. Half the people in this room are like, I don't even know your name. Right? We have very little regard for the people around us. You care more for the people on stage. Right? You want the speaker to be good. You want the presider not to talk too long, give too many announcements. You want know, the people on this praise team to really, to really just sing the right notes, play the right notes, be in tempo. We care more about the people on the stage than the people around us. But brothers and sisters, that is not God's vision for the body of Christ. We are all members of one body. And we're all called to serve, to bear one another's burdens, and to minister with and to each other. What a paradigm shift that would be if you saw each other as a gift. If you saw each other as God's provision for you. In the midst of your weariness, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your limitations, you would realize in this room, in my community group, in my gospel-centered life group, there are people, there are resources, there is strength here that can help me and sustain me. And in this body, Jesus Christ is the head. He is the head. He is the ultimate gift of God unto us. He is the one who offers true rest, true justice, true peace, and true life. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is the ultimate and just judge. And friends, until you know Jesus as your good shepherd, you will never be satisfied with your earthly shepherds. I just want to say this. My limitations are very real. Your pastors, your elders, your deacons, your community group leaders, your Sunday school teachers will never be enough. They will never satisfy you until you know Jesus Christ as your good shepherd. Because you'll always be, until you know Christ as your shepherd, until you know the gift, the resources, and the life that he offers to us, you're always going to be pursuing the things that only he can give from earthly shepherds and earthly leaders. You're going to be projecting onto earthly people what only can be accomplished and done by Jesus Christ in our lives. I see this all the time. We want so much from our pastors. We demand so much from our leaders. And yet we don't know Jesus Christ. We don't know Christ. 
Jesus is the greater Moses, friends. And unlike Moses, the burden of leading his people, it was not too much for him. Unlike Moses, who could not go it alone, Jesus alone went to the cross. He alone died for our sins. He alone is our mediator and the one who makes us right with God. And it is because of who he is, and it is because of what he has done, he alone can say to us, Come, all who are weary, and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd, and the goal of the Christian life is to be able to declare in faith the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Can you say that today? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ unto us. We thank you that you see us in our weariness, in our limitations, and your word is not for us to just try harder, to work harder, to do more. You offer us rest. You offer us hope. You offer us community through the church and strength through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I want to pray for the people here who are weary and worn out. Through whatever storm or circumstance they might be going through in life. Father, I pray that you would show them that they cannot and should not go it alone. Would you tell them that they don't have to because they have this body here as a community of faith? Would you encourage them and help them to lift their eyes to Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of their faith? And I pray, Lord, that even in these next moments of worship, we might be able to find rest from our weariness. And you, O oh Lord, as the shepherd of our souls. God, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you see us in the midst of our trials and our burdens. Father, I pray that you would help us believe that you truly care and that you are able that we need.